Welcome to the Recess Nurse Podcast, elevating emergency nursing one episode at a time. I'm your host, Yunsi Dursa. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Recess Nurse Podcast. I'm your host, Yunsi Dursa. I just want to start off by saying thank you to everyone who has already tuned in and subscribed to the podcast and blog. And for those of you who have been forwarding it to your friends and colleagues, the response has been overwhelmingly positive and I am just so grateful. So thank you so much. As a reminder, I'll be at the SMAC conference in Berlin on June 26th through 29th. Come and say hello. So today... I want to talk about a modified Valsalva maneuver. A patient will come in with a heart rate of 170 to 200, complaining of palpitations or shortness of breath, chest pain, dizziness, maybe one or two of the symptoms or nothing at all. So the question is, is this SVT or AFib? Here's the hint. We're going to talk about SVT today. So right away, I think about my mental bedside checklist. I'm going to take off the clothing waist up and put on a hospital gown. Immediately, I will place a pulse ox, leads, and BP cuff in that order. If the oxygenation is poor with good waveform, address this first. Do your ABCs. Start with a nasal cannula. Um, you can do two, four, six liters per minute. If that doesn't give your patient any relief, then you know put on a non-rebreather mask. Uh, you might be able to titrate it back down to a nasal cannula, but if not, then you're looking in possibly using a BiPAP machine. Find out also if they have COPD, emphysema, or a chronic smoker, because if that's the case, uh, their oxygen saturation requirements will obviously be less, um, 90 to 94%, 94% being optimal. Um, and a high-flow nasal cannula may be a better option for them versus a BiPAP machine. So you'll keep the head of bed elevated to a minimum of 30 degrees, but I kind of look at the patient. Um, if 45 to 90 degrees is better, then that's what I'll do. So watch the position that your patient is sitting. If they're leaning forward or they're really sitting up straight to a 90 degree angle on their own, then just put the head of the bed at 90 degrees and ask them, you know, is it easier for you to breathe sitting up? It might be, and that's their compensatory mechanism. Don't make it harder for them and insist that they lay in a 30-degree position. Obese patients with a large abdominal girth may prefer to have their legs over the side of the stretcher. Um, it kind of just helps a little bit with relieving that pressure and giving the diaphragm a little bit more room. So next you'll get a stat EKG, and after you get the 12 lead, you can just keep the EKG leads on the patient. Um, if for whatever reason you really anticipate that you're going to be giving adenosine, you'll probably need to have a running EKG strip while you're giving the adenosine, so it's easier just to keep it on, uh, and it'll save you a lot of time. So the next question you'll always ask yourself is, is this an atrial or a ventricular rhythm? Obviously, today we're talking about SVT, so we're talking about an atrial rhythm. Um, if the atrial rhythm is so fast, 
you may not be able to determine whether it's SVT or AFib, a flutter. So just keep that in mind. But you know that it's some sort of an some sort of an atrial tachycardia in origin. Get IV access, preferably two, but you need at least one. And the question will be: Do you need labs now or later? So this is a little controversial in the nursing world. Um, so this is what I do. If the person looks like they are a hard stick, I'll get the lab so I can at least run a venous panel to get a baseline PCO2 level. Because if this patient also has any kind of respiratory issues at the same time and they're going to go on BiPAP or high flow nasal cannula, you can trend your PCO2 level along with other values and then it'll help direct your oxygenation needs. Look at your patient. If they're talking to you and they appear somewhat calm, you obviously have the time to get labs off that first IV line. So if your patient looks really, really bad, I would just get the IV access and skip the labs for right now and just draw them later. The reason why I'm saying this is if they have been sustaining a really high heart rate, we're talking about 170s to 200 for a period of time. We're looking at going towards the end of their compensatory mechanism. So now they're starting to decompensate. And they're decompensating partly because they're having poor perfusion and they're just unable to maintain this really high heart rate. There may be some other things going on as well. And, you know, we'll obviously address that. But we're looking at a patient, just look at your patient. If they look really sick in the sense that they don't seem to really be there. So look at mental status, look at their respiration rate, look at how much energy they have when they're talking to you. Do they seem a little lethargic to you? Um, Do they just seem really fatigued or do they seem very energetic and that, you know, they can recite whatever it is that they want to recite to you. Um, I worry about these patients because if we don't do anything quickly, then it's it's almost like tr- chasing a rabbit hole. So in these patients, I kind of skip the labs and I just get the IV access. The only time maybe that's an exception to that rule would be if I know that this is like a super, super good IV with good flow. There's no way I am going to blow the IV by getting labs. Then I might grab the labs. It's You have to make your own judgment on this one. I There's no right or wrong answer, um, but I'm just putting it out there. So ideally, you will have a second nurse who's with you, who's putting in the IV line while the EKG is in progress so you can get the labs right away. So while you're doing all of this, you're examining your patient. So check the mental status. Hello, sir. Can you tell me your name? Do you know where you are? What day is it? If you know the patient is demented, ask what year it is. Don't ask, you know, these really tough questions. Ask what year it is. Ask who the president is. Seems to work a little better. Look at their respirations. Look at their work of breath. Are they gasping for air? Do they Do they seem like they have shortness of breath because of their high heart rate, or do you think it's something else? And what is their respiratory rate? Is it more like 
20s or just kind of hanging out or is it more like 35, 40? It makes a huge difference in terms of what we're going to address first. And then do they look tired? Like I said earlier, you're worried about a patient losing their compensatory drive. Auscultate the lungs. Um, I like to do this because sometimes there's something else going on at the same time. You know how it is. A patient comes in for one thing and it turns out they have a multitude of problems. So I like to auscultate the lungs and just see, is it clear throughout or do we have some adventitious sounds? Now, I think one of the most important things to do is to get a really good history, get a good story, find out what what was the precipitating events. So you're going to ask them, um, you know, when did this start? Where where were you? Were you sitting? Were you standing? Were you walking? What kind of symptoms did you have? Shortness of breath, chest pain, palpitations, dizziness, lightheadedness, nausea, vomiting. Did you pass out? Did you have any loss of consciousness? If the patient was brought in by EMS, ask them, how did they find the patient? Where did they find the patient? What interventions did they did they give? Was it oxygen, IV line, medications? Was there any improvement after their interventions? Do they look better now? So other questions you are going to ask, if they have any allergies to medications, has it ever happened to them before? Any fevers or recent illness? Do they have a pacemaker or defibrillator? And then what medications they are on? And, you know, always get find out what other medical history or surgical history that they have. Okay, so let's talk about treating SVTs. So today we're going to talk about not the unstable SVT patient, but we're talking about the stable SVT patient or somewhat stable SVT patient. So you have a guy that comes in, you know, he's like, oh yeah, I can feel my heart's racing, um... Either he's had this before or he hasn't had this before. If he hasn't had it before, he'll probably be a little more nervous. So you're kind of unsure um, if it's nerves or not. But you're looking at this and you're like, you know what? It's SVT. So this person isn't really, you're not really super concerned about because he may or may not have some symptoms, but you're looking at him. He looks all right. It's not... 100% good, but he looks okay and he has a little bit of time. So now you're thinking about your treatment. Treating SVT, there really aren't a lot of great options. So the first line of treatment are vagal maneuvers. And my all-time favorite, and I am making air quotations over this, is the ice-to-face. Have any of you used this method before? It's kind of funny. Um, So you have one of two options. Either one, you put bags of ice and you lay it all over their face. (laughs) That's option number one. Option number two, either you fill a sink or better yet, you fill one of those large basins with ice and water. And then you have them literally dunk their face into the water. Um, 
maybe it might be a little bit better if they're standing and then they dunk their face in there. But of course, we want to monitor everything. So they're going to be sitting in the stretcher. You're going to hold this huge basin of water, preferably on a male stand. And then um, and then they're going to just dunk their face in there. I haven't seen too much success with this method. Um, I think they might have a better benefit of having a nice ice cold facial and their pores might look nicer after you do the ice to face method. But um, some some of my colleagues have said that it works great on kids, um, but I haven't had the luxury to to do that yet. So I can't tell you if on a personal account as to whether it does work well or not with children. But in terms of adults, I haven't really seen much, much conversion um, with this method. So your next vagal maneuver is the carotid massage. Um, back in the day, both nurses and doctors are able, were able to use the carotid massage. But over time, just about everyone has atherosclerosis disease or CAD and the risk of releasing a thrombus and causing further harm has limited nurses to not do the carotid massage. So a lot of the times they say, okay, just let the doctors do it. Now, a carotid massage is not recommended for patients who are older. So maybe 55, 65 and above. Just, I mean, you kind of have to look at your person and see, do you think that they have CAD or not? Um, but, you know, if you have a younger guy or a younger patient and they look like they don't have it, that's the part that is a little tricky for me. Because nowadays I'm looking at patients and I say, oh, yeah, this guy or this 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 girl looks pretty healthy. But at the end of the day, they end up having so many different comorbidities that you wouldn't even know unless they told you or somehow you looked at the chart and it shows up in their history. So I don't really like doing having the carotid massage done on my patients, but it's really up to the provider if they feel comfortable with doing it. Um, you know, it's up to them. But just watch out for possible, you know, PE, stroke, that kind of, that kind of situation because that is the risk. So your final option is to tell a patient to bear down. Have you ever asked somebody to bear down? They don't even know what that means. So the best way that I can explain to them as to what that means is you're sitting on a toilet and you're trying to squeeze one out. So basically, this is creating the Valsalva strain. However, now that they have that description in their mind, a lot of them, you know, they'll try. (laughs) But I I think there is also the fear that they really are going to go number two in the stretcher. So some some of them, I think they do try hard, but maybe not hard enough. Um, I I don't know. It's 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 still not a great technique. So the second line of treatment will be adenosine. And if you've ever given adenosine, it's it's not a great medication to give. Um, your patient will have this sense of doom and they have every right to feel that way because you are, in a sense, stopping their heart. Um, you will see a transitional asystole and... 
technically you are stopping their heart and then you're hoping that it will convert to a sinus rhythm. Um, there is like a few, like maybe one to three second gap and then, and then the rhythm will come back. So it's an effective drug. Um, if you've never given it before, what you would do, the best method is to have a three-way stop cock at your very, very good IV line. I cannot emphasize that more. That IV line has to be really good. So the half-life for adenosine is very short. So what I like to do is I like to have my adenosine drawn up in a syringe and whatever the dosage that you're using, you're going to have the full dosage in one syringe. I wouldn't do like half in one syringe and half in another syringe. So you have your three-way stopcock attached to your IV medlock. Once attached to the IV medlock, then on the second, you have your adenosine attached. And then the third, you'll have your flush attached. So when you're ready to give the adenosine, the 12 lead EKG should, you, you should have a running 12 lead EKG. And then when everyone is ready, then you will just switch the, switch the stopcock and then you're going to push the adenosine and then immediately after you'll switch it and then push the, um, push the flush. So it has to be a fast push. This is not one of those medications where you do a slow push because by the time you do a slow push, that half-life is so, is so fast that you're really not going to get the whole benefits of adenosine. And then you might have to do a second round of adenosine because it didn't quite get to the heart with the right amount of medication at the right amount of time um, because that half-life is so fast. So that's how I do it. Um, so back in 2015, the Lancet published the REVERT trial, and the findings were pretty impressive. The REVERT trial created another vagal maneuver, and it actually works. So it's called a modified Valsalva maneuver, and I've tried this out myself, and it works pretty well. In fact, I love it so much that I laugh when I see people come over with bags of ice or worse, start doing a carotid massage. I, I cringe a little bit with a carotid massage. So just make sure you have a good technique and you'll need two people at the bedside. And this modified Valsalva maneuver technique is fairly easy. So this is how you do the modified Valsalva maneuver technique. You have the patient sit down on the stretcher with the head of bed elevated at 45 degrees. That's a semi-recumbent position. Or the patient can just sit up and the head of the bed will be flat down. So it will just be a flat stretcher. You'll take a 10 milliliter syringe and have them blow into it for 15 seconds. This will create the Valsalva strain. So this is much easier to have somebody do the bear down um, versus, uh, you know, explaining the, um, the toilet method. <laughs> so immediately afterwards, you will put the patient in a supine position. And then after the supine position, you will raise both legs up and somebody else will be doing that. So you really need two people at the bedside. One person will put the patient in supine position, and then the other person will immediately after raise both legs to a 45 to 90 degree angle um, for 45 seconds. 
So this technique can be repeated once, um, once more. And then if that doesn't work, then you will use adenosine. That's pretty much it. So after that, you will repeat your EKG and hopefully you will watch the magic of converting your SVT patient to a sinus rhythm. So something that I've come across, uh, just, just something I've seen clinically is that we would do this technique and it would slow the rhythm down. But when you slow the rhythm down, it turns out that the baseline rhythm is AFib or a flutter. And if that's the case, there's no need to repeat the test because it's not going to convert AFib or, or a flutter. So don't waste your time on that. But the good news is at least you know what the underlying rhythm is and then you can treat that accordingly. So why do I love this modified Valsalva maneuver technique? Because first off, you can give your patients a 10 milliliter syringe and they can convert it at home. Now, you may be asking why a 10 milliliter syringe? The 10 milliliter syringe has been found to be the closest to 40 millimeters of mercury, which is what was used for the revert trial. Another reason why I like this so much is it's cheap. You don't need any fancy equipment. A lot of our patients who come in with this, they know that they're having a really fast heart rate. So they they can do this at home or if you're practicing in an area that doesn't have a lot of resources, you probably will have a 10 milliliter syringe. So you can convert your patients um, with a higher, with a higher success rate than, you know, something like the ice to face method. <laughs> also, I don't have to give adenosine as much, which for me is great. I mean, the rush that you're giving the adenosine is a little scary. Um, I, I always hope that they come out of that transitional asystole, but there's always a chance that they're not going to. And I hate listening to what the patients have to tell me as to how they feel um, after receiving adenosine. And then on top of that, even before you give the adenosine, you have to prep your patients like, hey, by the way, we're going to give you this medication, but you're going to feel like you're dying. This is the medication that's going to help you. So I, I don't have to give adenosine as much by using this method. And then finally, in terms of some numbers, the conversion rate for the modified Valsalva maneuver is 43% versus using um, the standard Valsalva maneuver, which had a conversion rate of 17%. Just as a review, the standard Valsalva maneuver will be having a patient sit down or have, you know, having the patient in a semi-recumbent position, and they will just blow in a 10 milliliter syringe. And you do that for 15 seconds. So I guess you no longer have to tell somebody that they're going to have to go to the bathroom. But, um, you know, if they can't bear down on their own, then you're going to use a 10 milliliter syringe to create that Valsalva stream. The modified Valsalva maneuver is all of the above, but then right after blowing into the syringe for 15 seconds, you're going to place the patient in a supine position. So their, their head will be at the same level as their legs. And then 
right after that, you're going to lift up both of their legs to a 45 to 90 degree angle, and you do that for 45 seconds. The conversion rate was measured after one minute. 43% is a pretty significant number. It's almost 50%. So I think that if your patient comes in and kind of fits the bill, this is a great technique to use. I don't see it used enough. And there's no medication. The patient can learn it and do it at home. And then, you know, it, do the patient teaching. If, if this is one of those patients that need to come into the ER anyways, then inform them that they will still need to come to the ER anyways. Um, but some of them can just convert at home and then they can just follow up with their cardiologist either that same day or the next day, you know, that kind of thing. So the eligible SVTs are reentrant atrial tachycardia and then your undetermined narrow complex tachycardias. The ineligible rhythms are A flutter, AFib, broad complex tachycardia, or sinus tachycardia. So that's it today. Um, I just wanted to have this information out there. Many of you probably are already practicing the technique. Um, but I think that we should be doing it more often. Uh, there's definitely a lot of patients that come in with SVT, and this is just an easy way to convert them. And the success rate after the one minute mark is pretty great. 43% for the modified Valsalva maneuver. Information on the revert trial are in the show notes at recessnurse.com. Go ahead and check it out. Thank you so much for listening in on another episode of the Recess Nurse Podcast. I'm your host, Yunsi Dursa. Peace. You've just listened to an episode of the Recess Nurse Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Yunsi Dursa. Check out the website, recessnurse.com, for show notes, a place to leave your comments, and start a conversation. You can also follow me on iTunes, Twitter, and Facebook. 